Today I'm going to, you can remain standing for just a moment, I'm going to preach a message that is twofold. One is, of course, we are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that and apply it to our lives. But secondly, I am launching a new sermon series today called Run to Win. And this is, of course, about the the fact that we are in a race, and I'll elaborate on that in just a moment. So I'm going to tie this sermon series in with the resurrection and hopefully pull it all together. And in fact, my sermon and the normal structure will be a little bit different maybe than what I typically do this Easter. But I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 19 today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It'll be on the screen. You can look at it in, on your phone or if you actually have a physical copy of the Bible, you can do it there as well. Acts 19.1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And so today, as we launch this series, I'm going to preach from this thought, you can't win if you're not in. You can't win if you're not in. God bless you. You may be seated today. And because of the post-service activities, I will try to maybe abbreviate this somewhat. But of course, Easter, we're here, all of you are here specifically to celebrate Easter. It is a time to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the culmination of the gospel. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he said, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached, which also you received, in which you also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast. The word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And what he says, you've got to hold fast the message of the gospel, otherwise your believing will have been in vain. And what he really says is if you turn away from that message, that belief that you had formerly would be in vain. But verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It is that that is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection, of course, is that culmination of that gospel message. And I would tell you that the death of Jesus, apart from the resurrection, does not get you to heaven. It may pay the penalty for your sin, 
But having no sin is not what gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is being in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Or in essence, having the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your life. And we get that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that He imputes or imparts His righteousness to us. The death without the resurrection is not enough. And so on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. There was a message some 40 years ago, maybe pushing even 50 years ago. It was made quite famous, a message by Tony Campola. And he preached the message called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And his message was that when it comes to Easter, that when Jesus dies on Friday, that's sad and everybody's upset, but Sunday is coming. The resurrection is coming. And, and he applied it to our lives that when we're going through difficulty and we're going through trial, it may be a Friday, but there is a Sunday coming when we know Jesus Christ. That we can have what we need and God will answer our prayer. Sunday is coming. But this idea of the resurrection, it's not just about the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just that he rose on the third day, but it is also that you and I can be raised to walk in newness of life. We sang the song, he left the grave behind, so will I. It's this idea that we were dead in trespasses and sin, and we were in that grave of bondage and a grave of sin, but we're going to leave that behind to walk. In newness of life, Paul said it this way, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism, into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Anybody glad you have newness of life today? That you're not like you were, that you're not like that old man, but you are walking in newness of life in Jesus Christ. And the reality is this, is that it is obedience to the gospel that leads our results in salvation. It's not just knowing facts, as we'll look at in just a moment, but it is obedience to that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Some three times in the New Testament, Paul and Peter alike both say it is about obedience to the gospel or obeying the gospel. It's not just enough to know the gospel. But when we are obedient to the gospel and, we, and that results in our salvation, the Bible then likens salvation to a race that we are in. That we are running the Christian race. We are in this race to get from where we are to get to heaven. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is a race that we are in. We are running a race from where we are to get to heaven. And as long as we're living in this life and in this world, we are in this race. But I would tell you that it's not enough just to be in the race. Paul said that we are to run as one who would win. That we are to run the race to win it. We're not just to be satisfied with being in the race, but we're to be diligent. We're to be engaged in the process and run to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. 
run in such a way that you may win. Everyone, he says, who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified. There's a lot of New Testament imagery here, and I I don't want to take too long on this because this is all still introduction here. But you see what Paul says, they run to get a wreath. It it is an olive wreath. It is is woven. It's like a little crown. You've seen that in Olympic games. You see that, that old imagery that they use. It's called a crown. It's called the victor's crown. And they run to get that wreath. It's not, it's not a gold crown. It's not a silver crown. It's just a wreath uh, or a crown of olive branches that are woven together. And it is the victor's crown. And the Bible says that when we get to heaven, what are we going to do? We're going to take our crowns and we're going to toss them at his feet. That we who have been victorious in this race, in this Christian walk, in this, this race that we're running, we are going to toss the crowns that we give as winners of that race and we're going to toss them at his feet. Because it is ultimately all about Jesus Christ. That if we get from here to heaven, it's all because of him. That if we win this race, it's all because of him. But you cannot win if you are not in. You can't win a race that you're not participating in. And there is only one way to get in the race. There is only one entrance into the race that will get you from where we are to get us to heaven. The text that I read to you, it is, uh, in, takes place in the city of Ephesus. It is on Paul's third missionary journey. And, and if you know anything about Paul, he, he has at least... Four, as some would say, plus his trip to Rome where he ultimately dies. But he travels around from region to region or church to church or city to city. On the first one, he establishes churches. And on his second and third missionary journeys, he's planting some new churches. And sometimes he's just visiting places that he's already planted just to make sure that they're doing okay. And it is on one of those occasions that we find our text. He has come to the city of Ephesus. And when he gets there, the Bible says he finds disciples. But there's something a little bit different about these particular disciples. And, and I, I want to walk through those six verses that I read to you and, and point out a few things about how our text exemplifies and illustrates the process of entrance into this race that we're running The first thing that you need to understand is this, is that you must know about Jesus. You cannot be saved if you do not know about Jesus. If you've never heard the name of Jesus, then there is no salvation. It is only in Jesus. And and the context of, of this passage, verse 1, let me read it to you. It said, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples he doesn't elaborate on those disciples at this point he just says he found some disciples but we know a little bit about Apollos and we know a little bit about these disciples more than likely because the previous chapter fills us in on some of the backstory of Apollos and 
how these men know what they know about Jesus because Apollos has told them. At the end of chapter 18 of the book of Acts, Aquila and Priscilla run into Apollos. They see him. He is a man who is, the Bible says, is mighty in the Scriptures. He knows the Bible, specifically, of course, the, the Old Testament at that point, and, and he is mighty in the Scriptures. And it says he was teaching things, and everything that he taught about Jesus, the text tells us, was accurate. That he was accurately talking about Jesus, accurately teaching about Jesus, accurately telling other people about Jesus. But there was one little fact, and that is that he knew only, the text says, the baptism of John. He didn't know about baptism in the name of Jesus. He didn't know other things about Jesus. But he knew some things about Jesus, and what he knew about Jesus was accurate. So I was thinking about this, and to illustrate it for you, I know a few things about electricity. I know that if the outlet is live, you don't want to stick anything but a plug in there. You don't want to stick a fork in there like I might have done when I was a kid. You don't want to stick wires just in there that aren't shielded and don't have the proper thing. I might have done that too when I was a kid. But I know a little bit about electricity. I know that the circuit is broken when you flip the light switch or it's engaged when you flip the light switch. And the light switch alone doesn't mean that there's no power there. It just means that the way the circuit is running, it may not be uh, powered up at the moment. I know that you want to turn the breakers off if you're really going to work with electricity. I know a number of things about electricity, and all of them could be accurate, but I promise you, you do not want me wiring your house. Because my knowledge of electricity and my knowledge of what it takes is incomplete. And so it was with Apollos. He knew a lot of things about Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. The Bible says that he was mighty in the scriptures and would show up in the synagogues of the Jews and would from the scriptures convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. But he didn't know everything that he needed to know. And I would tell you that it's not just enough to know about Jesus, but we have to know the right things about Jesus. We have to know certain things about Jesus the Bible tells us how can they hear of him in whom they have not heard and how can they hear without a preacher. It is the responsibility of everybody who is a child of God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people so that they can hear and they can know about Jesus. It's not just my responsibility, it's your responsibility to share the gospel with people. You can't make them believe, you can't make them come to Jesus Christ, but it is our responsibility that they know. Secondly, our text informs us that we must also believe in Jesus. Verse 2 says this, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Some translations Say, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? New American Standard and some others, and I like it. Did you receive the Spirit 
when you believe? And their answer is very informative because they said, we know about Jesus. We look like disciples of Jesus. We act like disciples of Jesus. We believe in Jesus. But we don't even know anything about this Holy Spirit. I would tell you that what this text tells us is that it is not enough to just believe in Jesus. That it is not enough just to have this mental understanding of Jesus. But we must believe some things about Him. And I'm going to deal with the Holy Spirit in just a little bit. But, but to believe in Jesus is to be convinced that Jesus is the way. To be convinced that He is the only way to heaven. To believe is more than acknowledging some facts. It's more than just saying, I believe two plus two is four. It's more than just saying, I believe something is true. It is to act on that. To truly believe is to commit to following Jesus. To believe means that you're going to repent and turn from your sin, and you're going to turn to Jesus, and you're going to follow Him. He is the only way, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or no one comes to the Father but through me. There is no other way. Part of believing is acknowledging Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to the Father. John 10, 7-9, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the only way to heaven. Aren't you thankful that you know who Jesus is today? Aren't you thankful that you know that the name, not only the name of Jesus, but that you can believe that he is the only way? If you believe Jesus is the only way, would you give the Lord a hand clap today? Now, I would venture to say that all of you are with me. But let's walk a little further through the text. The third thing that we see is that you must be baptized into Jesus. Not only had they not heard of the Holy Spirit, but Paul, he asked another question. Into what then were you baptized? Now let me pause here and, and go back to verse 2. I've said this to, to numerous people over the years. When, when Paul asked that question, did you receive the Holy Spirit or have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed or when you believed? It is, in essence, a very dumb question if there's only one answer. If the answer is, well, of course I did. And that's the only, that if you believe that you're automatically filled with the Spirit, we'll talk about that, that's a bad question. It wouldn't be that much different to saying that when you jumped into that pool of water, did you get wet? Well, yeah, of course you get wet. But Paul asked them this question, and they're like, what are you talking about? We haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. But he asked this other question that is also very informative, and he makes the assumption that we should make if we believe the Scripture, well, how were you baptized? Now, that's a dumb question if it's just an optional thing that you do. Some people get baptized, some people don't, no big deal. 
He didn't say, did you get baptized? He knows they're talking about Jesus. They're claiming to be disciples of Jesus. And he says, so what, into what were you baptized? How were you baptized? It is an essential part of the new birth experience. And they said, John's baptism. That's, that's the way we did it. We were just baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. When they found out that their baptism wasn't in the right way, they said, well, let us get baptized in the name of Jesus. Let's do this now. It is true that baptism is an identification with what you profess to believe. That if you believe in Jesus, then you will be baptized into Jesus. That is true. But John 3 tells us that baptism is more than just this outward indication of an inward work. It tells us that it is an important part of this new birth experience. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, good teacher, we know you're a man from God because nobody can do these things like you're doing except he be from God. And Jesus cuts right to the chase. He doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. He said, if you're not born again, guess what that means? You're not going to see it. If this is the requirement to be born again, to get there, to not be born again means you're not going to get there. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 rulers in Israel, he said, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And almost all scholars would tell you that when he says born of water, he's referring to that rebirth of baptism. We are buried with him in baptism so that we can walk in newness of life. And Jesus said, you've got to be baptized. Peter said it that same way. He said, even so, are, are corresponding to, to baptism. He's talking about the ark, that people are saved through the ark. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives and these animals. He said they are saved through the ark. Through the water, they're saved by the ark on the water. He says, co corresponding to that baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. Not just getting yourself physically clean. That doesn't do anything but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That even so, baptism now saves us. Just like Noah was saved on the ark, baptism is part of that salvation experience. And Apollos knew only the baptism of John, but he was teaching that they needed to be baptized. He didn't have the right means of baptizing, but he did tell them it was important for his disciples to be baptized. baptized. The baptism was insufficient and ineffective for the Christian, but he was promoting baptism. I would tell you this, that it's possible to be baptized and it not be correct or sufficient. We have it in our text. If they were wrong in the way in which they were baptizing less than 30 years 
after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how much more likely is it that people can get it wrong today? These disciples, when they heard the proper means of baptism, they immediately were baptized in the name of Jesus. Baptism in the New Testament, it is done by immersion and always in the name of Jesus. Religious encyclopedias, whether Catholic or otherwise, would tell you that for the first two centuries, there was no other form of baptism except in the name of Jesus. There was no other way in which they baptized except in the name of Jesus. Peter said in his second sermon recording in the book of Acts, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if we are saved in the name of Jesus, we should be baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians, let me hurry, it's 11.30, I'm hurrying. When he shows up in Corinth, he finds a lot of dissension and a lot of division and a lot of people having all of these different factions. And he says, man, I'm glad I didn't baptize very many of you. Only baptized a few. And he said, I'm glad because had I baptized more people, what they were doing is because Paul was baptizing or Cephas, who is Peter, or Apollos, who we just talked about, They were going, well, Apollos baptized me. I'm a disciple of Apollos. Cephas or Peter baptized me. I'm a disciple of Peter. And Paul says, that's not the way it should be. He said, did Peter die for you? Or did Paul die for you? Are you buried into Paul? And what he's saying is, Jesus is the one who died. So our baptism is a burial into Jesus Christ. It is not calling on the name of Paul. It's not calling on the name of any other person except the one who was crucified and died and was buried and rose again for your sins and for mine. Baptism in the name of Jesus is the only baptism in the New Testament church. And fourthly, you must be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. After their baptism, the text says, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. I already read to you John 3, 3 through 5, but part of that new birth, it is born of water, and it is born of spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. When does it happen? How does it happen? John 7 says this, Now on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty. Anybody feel like the trumpet just sounded? There is coming a day. We're at the sudden sound of a trumpet. We who are alive in Christ will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I heard the train coming, and I was just hoping he wasn't going to get on his horn. But it woke you up. (laughs) But on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What the text is telling us is this, is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can only take place after the glorification of Jesus. That glorification comes in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascends to heaven. And even then when he ascends to heaven, he keeps quoting and telling them what he has been telling them for a while. is that it is to your benefit if I go away because if I don't go away, the Spirit can't come. But if I go away, the Spirit's coming. He said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are receiving the Spirit of Jesus Christ living on the inside. He's, he's I'm coming to you. But it's not going to happen until after my glorification. And that first time when the Spirit comes, the 120 gathered in the upper room. And as the Spirit comes, they all begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Every believer, text says, should be filled with the Spirit. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. It should be something that happens. But in our text in Acts chapter 19, they knew about Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They didn't even know there was a Spirit that they could have living on the inside of them. As the musicians come, I'll finish this last point. But I would tell you this, that being filled with the Spirit is not optional. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's not just, that's an extra blessing. I'd like to have the Spirit living inside of me. Jesus says you have to have the Spirit to get to heaven. Paul wrote that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ living in you, you are none of His. And what we see in our text is that knowing about Jesus does not equate to being filled with the Spirit. What we see is that believing in Jesus does not equate with being filled with the Spirit. Even being baptized in water in the name of Jesus doesn't equate to being filled with the Spirit. But there is a way to know when you have received or been filled with the Spirit of God. It's what we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 in our text and is implied strongly in Acts chapter 8. It's that when the Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of a person, they speak with other tongues, a language that they do not know that only God can give them. We've got to know about Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. We're baptized in the waters of baptism into Jesus. And we must be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. The gospel message, as I started with it, is the death, burial, and resurrection. And what's so beautiful about the Bible. Some 39 or 40 human authors 
over a 1,500-year time period for the whole Bible. And with the New Testament, some 13 or 14 authors and some 60-year time period, the Bible always fits together. There is no contradiction. So if the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are to obey that gospel, how do we do that? That was the question that was asked in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaching the message after they were filled with the Spirit for that first time. And after saying these are not drunk like you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but, but that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days saith, God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, young men shall see visions, and on the handmaids shall I pour out my spirit in those days. He said this is what was prophesied by Joel some five, six hundred years prior. This is what Joel was saying. It's come to pass. It's not anything different. It's everything he said. And he said that Jesus whom you crucified, he was Lord and Christ. He was the Messiah that was come. You killed him. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And the people listening to Peter's message Bible says they were convicted in their hearts and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what must we do we killed the Messiah we rejected him once what must we do Peter said repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit It is a perfect identification with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we die to ourselves through repentance. Just as he died, we die. That just as he was buried, we are buried with him in baptism. But just as he was resurrected, we are raised to walk in newness of life when we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It is perfect match how do you obey the gospel you repent you get baptized or buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus and you let the spirit of God fill your heart and life evidence with speaking in a language you do not know if Peter needed it and James and John needed it and Mary the mother of Jesus needed it and the rest of the apostles if they needed it who are we to think that we don't need it Who are we to think that we can do it without that? Jesus said, don't you leave Jerusalem until you get it. Don't leave until you're endued with power from on high. As you stand together, I don't know if you know this, but Thursday was opening day of baseball season. I'm a baseball fan. I'm not a huge fan, but, you know, it's... It's sports, so there we go. But as I thought about this concept of you can't win if you're not in, there are people 
they'll be on the baseball field today. They'll have on a Royals uniform. They'll have on a batting helmet. Depending on who it is, they might have a glove. They'll catch some balls. They'll pick up the bats. But having a uniform and having a batting helmet, being on the field, sitting in that little chair on the side, catching the foul balls as they come by, does not put you on the team. You'll never see their name. You'll never be on the roster. They look the part in some ways, but they're not on the team. Jesus, Matthew 22, he gives us the converse or the opposite side of that illustration that I gave you. He gave a parable and he said the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call all those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. But those who were in it were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came to look over his dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I would tell you, and I know we're here to celebrate. And we want to do that. to celebrate something that may or may not be sufficient in your life it's not the celebration you want to have I want to make sure that in this like in this parable that I have on the wedding garments there is a way that we see throughout the book of Acts and how you get that and I've said it already it's as simple as this repenting of your sin saying God I don't want to do things I've been doing anymore. I don't want to follow my way. I don't want to try to get to heaven on my own, but I want to turn to you. I, want, I believe you are the only way. Turning from our sin to him. 
being identified with his death, burial, and resurrection through the waters of baptism, calling on the name of Jesus and being filled with the Spirit of God. Our crowd's a little bigger today than, than normal. But as they sing, I'm going to invite you just to step out. You don't have to all crowd around the front. You can come to the front. You can step to an empty aisle if there is one. But as a sign of surrender and your decision to follow Jesus and to do it His way, would you step out into an aisle or step to the front as they sing, Jesus, we want to follow you completely. God, we don't want to try to get there on our own. We want to do it your way.